0: If you know the Lord Jesus, He has given you a story, and it ought to be told and shared. We'll see an example of it in our text tonight. Let me just refresh your memory. The story is of a blind man who received his sight. He met the Lord Jesus, and because of that, uh, a, a man born blind now was able to see. And the miracle was so exceptional and so unusual that it aroused the astonishment and attention of his neighbors. In this day, folks, this kind of thing didn't typically take place. In fact, I challenged you last week to find one episode of the healing of a blind person in all of the Old Testament. And I knew you wouldn't find any. And I'm pleased to see that none of you did, because there isn't any. It didn't take place until the Lord Jesus came to be on the scene. And he healed the blind man as an an authenticating sign of his claim to be Messiah. Because Isaiah and other prophets said, when Messiah comes, the blind receive their sight. And so when Jesus was on the scene, a man who was blind from birth, it wasn't the result of an accident or anything like that. I mean, he was congenitally blind. He never saw and he was a beggar. What else would he do? He was deposited like a, like a uh, I don't know, a clump of clay in a very well-trafficked area in the precincts of the temple. And here comes the Lord Jesus with his followers, and he pauses, and he takes an interest in this man. And you remember, he applied to the man's eyes an unusual mixture of of mud and spittle. That's what he did. He mixed it together, kind of a clay-like substance. And then he told the blind man uh, to make his way to the pool of Siloam there to clean himself, and he would regain his sight. And that's exactly what happened. And now he sees. he He had never seen, but he sees, and he makes his way undoubtedly to his neighborhood. And the neighbors are quite astonished because Of course, every miracle is an exception to the rule of what's normal. It wouldn't be a miracle if it was commonplace. So every miracle is exceptional, but in the whole category of the miraculous, this is a super exceptional miracle. And the man, he's just entirely different now, and his neighbors don't really know what to make of it. And here's their response. It's in chapter 9 of John's Gospel, verse 8. That's where we'll pick up tonight. John chapter 9, beginning in verse 8, just a few verses. Here's what it says. The neighbors, the man's neighbors, therefore, and those who previously saw him. Before the Lord changed him, he had a previous kind of existence. So did you and I. And they knew him that way. They knew the life that characterized him prior to his encounter with the Lord Jesus. And so it says those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, they were saying this to one another Is this not the one who used to sit and beg? They didn't know what to make of it. This man was different now. And they're asking this question, all of them. Or asking, is this not the one who used to do nothing but sit and beg? Is this not the one? And then others were saying, you see, there was kind of a controversy caused by the fact that this blind man now saw. This man who had a previous existence was now as a result of his encounter with the Lord Jesus, he his existence was entirely different, and it caused a kind of a controversy. So others were saying, this is he. You know, one group says, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And so there's a response by others in the crowd, yes, they, they say, this is he. But still others were saying, no, 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 no. He is like him. He looks like him. It's a case of mistaken identity. There's no way it could be the guy who grew up in this neighborhood, our neighborhood, who never could do anything but that which a blind man could do, limited in the sensory area as he was, All we could expect of him is what he ended up being, a sitting blind beggar. Now, there's no way the person you see now seeing is the same one. He just looks like him. So can you see they're trying to make sense of this man's changed lifestyle? So they say, no, no, he just looks like him. But he kept saying, not once, he kept saying, I am the one. It's as if he couldn't get through to them. The change was so noticeable and so extreme. They had a debate. He was causing a controversy. Uh, is this the one we knew? Oh, no, he only looks like the one we He said, I am the one you knew. I was the previously blind beggar, but now it's different. I'm the one. Folks, the remarkable rabbi Jesus came by He's the one who gave him sight. Jesus is the one who opened his eyes physically, and not tonight, but eventually will see in the text, this same Jesus who opened his eyes physically will open his eyes spiritually. And the reason why he opened his blinded physical eyes is to demonstrate he has both the authority and the power and the will to open people's eyes spiritually. Don't tell me you're going to give me spiritual insight and enlightenment unless you have the authority and power to do it. And to demonstrate that he does, the Lord preceded the miracle of Spiritual healing by first uh, physically healing this man who once was blind. Folks, you and I, like this man, were blind, but in a different kind of a way. We were blinded to our sin. We thought we'd just make mistakes from time to time. We didn't know. No, it's sin against a holy God. We were blind to it. And we were also blind to our need for a sin bearer a personal Savior. And then, miraculously, our eyes were opened, and we came to see we we have a sin nature, for all have sinned and fall short. And then we found out that this marvelous Messiah, this Lord Jesus, suffered and died in our place as a substitute for our sin. That is a miracle no less remarkable than the miracle of physical sight being given here. And so, um, if you're a Christian (laughs) and you don't have a story to tell about it, if you cannot in some way, uh, just as this blind man say, I am he, I am the one who previously was blind, but now I see, you ought to talk to us. Why don't you have that story? Now, I'm not boasting here, I just want to tell you, I want to tell you something. When I became a Christian, In 1973, I was in the military and I went home on leave. And I really, really wanted my parents uh, to hear about the Lord Jesus. I was a relatively new believer. I I, I didn't have many skills, but I have a desire. I had a desire for for them to come to faith. And um, I asked the Lord about that. Oh, God, I remember praying, "Uh, if your Inhabiting me now, if you've taken me as your own, would you would you please reveal yourself to my parents through me? And I remember saying, God, I don't even know what I'm saying exactly, except I know you've made a difference in my life. Would you let it show? And I remember on one occasion while I was home, my mother said, she said, Stuart, you know it's always a blessing to have you home. Uh, it's great, but she said this visit is different. She said, you are different. What is it? I'm, I'm not taking any credit. I was as astounded as anybody, but I realized, oh my goodness, how could it be that Almighty God would take up his abode in someone's life and did not show? And so I had a chance to talk to them. I told them my story about how I met the Lord Jesus as my Savior, and I told them, the difference he had made in my life. And so, as with the blind man, each of us who is redeemed, who is saved, has a story to tell. And, and, and folks, when we tell it, those who previously knew us oftentimes don't know what to make of it. They're astounded because we knew, they knew us as we used to be. Did I ever tell you this one? It just occurred to me. I may have told you, but I don't remember. Um, when I was in college, I had a close friend. His name was Brian. And we would party together. It was that kind of a thing. And uh, uh, I hadn't seen him in years. I went off, joined the military, and I became a Christian while in the military. I get a call, oh, two, I think two, maybe three in the morning from my friend Brian, who I hadn't seen or heard from in years. Did I tell you this? Okay, okay, good, good. So it's fresh. So, uh, so, uh, I said, he, he says, he says, Stu, how are you doing? Brian, is this is Brian. Where are you? I'm here at the bus station where I was stationed in Omaha, Nebraska. He was at the bus station. He, I said, what are you doing there? He said, well, can you come pick me up? I'll, I'll tell you. And the bus station was about uh, 45 minutes from, from where I was stationed. I said, I'll be there. And as I was riding, I thought, oh no, I'm kind of glad to see Brian, but not that glad because I think he has an expectation that we will resume our partying lifestyle. But I'm different now. I don't have a desire to do that. I don't want to do that. And I determined Uh, I would immediately, as soon as possible in the car, I'd stake out my ground so that he would have a proper expectation. And while in the car, he simply said to me, he said, so, he said, so, Stu, what's new? You know, that kind of deal? And I said, I am. Let me tell you about it. And I told him my story. And I thought, he's going to tell me, hey, well, just take me back to the bus station. Oh, no, no. He said, you know, uh, that means a lot to me because I'm tired of the lifestyle I've been living. Wine, women, and song. He was a, a, quite an athlete and a good-looking guy, and, and that's the lifestyle he lived. He said, it's, it's, I'm empty. I'm absolutely I empty. Mean, he spent a week with me in the barracks and came to Bible study and all the rest, and, and, uh, and uh, I was hoping he would pursue Christ. I, I did not see him. Uh, accept Christ, but uh, I'm hopeful that maybe subsequent to it at some time he did. My point is this, folks, if the Lord Jesus has ransomed and redeemed you and me, we have a story to tell, and we ought not be ashamed about it nor hoard it. You know, the Bible says, therefore, if anybody is in Christ, he's a new creature, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And when people see the newness and ask us about it, we ought to be prepared to tell them our story. It's really God's story, isn't it, about redeeming us. Anyway, that's what happened with the blind man here. Here's the point, folks. God's mercies upon us must not remain with us. That doesn't make sense. God's merciful salvation must not remain upon us as a private thing. That doesn't make sense. It has to be shared and it has to be seen. That just makes sense, does it not? And so that's essentially what this blind man who doesn't know very much is doing right here. Once you and I were blind, as this one is, to sin and Savior, now we see And now, as with this man's neighbors, perhaps you've run into this, you provoke controversy. People who knew you before Christ don't know what to make of you. I remember when I went home to see other relatives after I had accepted Christ, uh, one of my brother-in-laws, he was quite upset uh, at the decision I had made, and he said... uh, uh, I know, I know what's behind this. He said, you just, you just need a crutch. You, you just need a psychological crutch. You See, he was trying to make sense over my conversion experience. He saw a difference. He, uh, I went to visit him in his home, and he had a drink in his hand. And as was the custom, he was getting ready to pour me one. That's what we did. And I sa- his name was Jerry. I said, no, thank you, Jerry. I, I, I don't care for one. Why not, said he. I said, I don't feel like I have a need for that anymore. I used to have any. What do you mean? And I told him, I told him my story. I said, Jerry, I don't know if you're going to understand this, but this Jesus, whose name we have used in vain, is our Messiah, and he made quite a difference in my life. And I'm not better than you or anybody else, but I have found a better way. And this is just not the way I want to go in anymore. And he was trying to make sense of it, you see, because he knew me the way I used to be. And so he said, you, you, you have a psychological need. You, you need a crutch. That's You see, so it was a point of controversy. Of course, I told him, you're absolutely right. And I have found this Jesus to be the one to lean on. What's your crutch? He was holding it right in his hand, you see. It was alcohol. So anyway, have you had this experience? You go home to friends and neighbors who knew of your pre-Christian life. They don't know what to make of you because you don't want to do the things you used to do before. Anyway, that's kind of what happened to this blind man here. And they want an explanation. He's causing controversy. And so they say in verse 10, they say to him, How then were your eyes opened? You know, they don't really ask the right question, do they? They say, how were your eyes opened? They should have said not how, but they should have asked who opened your eyes. They're not at that point yet. So they say, how did this happen? And uh, uh, they're going to get an explanation from this man, I assure you, they did not expect. And so in verse 11, he answered, the man who is called Jesus. (laughs) That's the answer. I guarantee they were not looking for that. How did this happen to you? He said, the man who is called Jesus. Hey, I want to tell you something. In John's gospel, one of his points is to persuade us for sure that Jesus is God who has the will and authority to save but though John wants us to be persuaded Jesus is God, he also wants us to be persuaded that Jesus is God in the form of man. Now, I I cannot explain that, but I'm not worried about it. I, all I have to do is accept it. Now, why is it so hard to accept that? I don't understand it. God, who can do anything, took on flesh in order to build a bridge with us, people like you and I. And so John, in emphasizing the divinity of Christ, doesn't want us to lose sight of his humanity. And so he records the man's words here, the man who is called Jesus. And John wants us to know that the incarnation, that's what it's called, the incarnation, God taking on flesh. John wants us to know it's a real thing. It's not an illusion. And this same John, who's writing this book that we've been studying for quite some time, he also wrote uh, other things in the New Testament. He wrote 1 John. And in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, listen to this. John, the same one, says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands— concerning the word of life. That's a reference to Jesus. And the life was manifested. You see, that's a reference to God who we could not see making himself visible in Jesus. And we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. God, transcendent deity. We could never get to know him unless he came our way. And this he did in the enfleshed Jesus. And so, this man uh, is calling attention to the Incarnation. And this man, in answer to his neighbor's questions, he answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And so I went away and washed and I received my sight. Folks, this is what he said to those who previously knew him and wanted to know about the change that they noticed in his life he told his story and it was so simple yet powerful in essence he said i was blind jesus opened my eyes now i see if you are a christian that's your story simple yet powerful i was blind Jesus opened my eyes, now I see. The young gal whose story we viewed earlier, if you think about it, reduced her story to three parts. First, she shared with us what her life was like before coming to know Christ. She told us a little bit about that. She didn't go into gory detail. You don't want to do that. She told us enough to know she was missing something. She told us about, first, what her life was like before Christ. Then she told us how she came to know Christ. It was very, very practical. And then the third thing she left us with is to tell us how her life has changed now that she's come to know Christ. Very, very simple, a three-part way of telling your Story. The man in our text essentially used the same three part outline. He told them what things were like for him before he met Christ. He reminded them, I was blind. And then he told them how he met Christ. He said, The man called Jesus, stopped, saw me, touched me. And then he told people what his life is like now. Very simple. I received sight. Now, folks, if you're a Christian, you have that same kind of story, and it must be told. It's a story of God's mercy on you, but you don't want to... Let it stay with you. You want it to be declared to others. And so I want to invite you to think about, not tonight, but to think about writing out your three-part story. Another word for that, sometimes you hear us say your testimony, your testimony. That means you're a witness for Jesus. You want to testify what he's really like. He's not like anybody else. He's your Savior and Lord. That's your testimony or your story. I'd like for you to consider writing it out, and in the process of doing it, I think you will be uh, more ready to share your story uh, by heart as God opens up doors of opportunity. And so, I want to suggest to you two tools for sharing your faith in Christ with those friends, neighbors, and others you come in contact with. Now, one, I'm not sure you've heard about it. Um, I like to refer to it as the 40 words. This may be new and fresh to you, but it's a way of sharing the gospel in a mere 40 words. I like to say to people these words. Let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It was when I realized that God was willing to forgive all my sins through the death of his son Jesus on the cross, in my place. So that is one resource, easy to memorize. It's a mere 40 words. It encapsulates the good news message. And then the second resource is your story. Uh, In a three-part outline, what was your life like before Christ? How did you come to know Christ? How has it changed? And to help you, I've printed those two resources out. On these sheets of paper, if you would care to have one, help yourself to it before we take leave of one another later. On one side, here are the 40 words that you could memorize and always be ready. Uh, uh, Folks, uh, I, I did it this way because I was looking for a way to quickly move conversation to the Lord with people I don't have a lot of time with, and I've told you stories about pizza delivery people and UPS delivery folks who I've been able to do this with. I've said quite respectfully, I know you're busy. You're working hard, but before you go, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever, and I've had some people, though they're quite busy and in a rush, pause. I had one gal. She's about 45 years old. She delivered a pizza, and uh, By the way, you should give also a good tip. You Don't just share the gospel. Give a good tip. And so um, I said, I know you're busy and you're trying to earn a living, but before you go, let me tell you about the greatest, and I share the 40 words. She stopped. She was leaning on the hood of her car uh, in which she was delivering pizzas, and she almost started to weep. And she began to tell me about her life. She's involved in a custody battle for children. She has little access to. It's been a horrific, abusive relationship with her husband from whom she is now estranged. She was born in another country, a Latin American country. She doesn't feel entirely at home here in the United States. She's disenfranchised and disconnected from husband, from children, Um, From family of origin, all the rest. And she told me she's looking for something. Something is missing. And she allowed me to share not just the 40 words, but then my three part testimony. And I told her listen, I can relate to some extent to your quest for something to fill the void in your life hey, let me tell you my story. And I did it in three minutes. That's the value of writing it out. Uh, You don't want to overdo it. And I didn't share with her all the gory details. Sometimes testimony, sharing calls too much attention to us. You want to direct them to the Lord quickly. So I spoke to her about depression and a sense of emptiness and purposelessness and Uh, life before Christ. And then I told her about how someone in a military barracks uh, told me for the first time that what this Jesus did on the cross, he did even for one such as me. And, And then I told her about how on a certain date I acknowledged my sin had separated me from this Jesus who wanted to offer to me not only an abundant life, but an eternal life. And I told her I asked Him to come into my life. And I included a verse of Scripture, simple one. Have you heard of John 3.16? I shared John 3.16 with her. And then I told her a little bit about how my life changed. And I told her, I don't mean to insinuate that I have no longer any challenges or there are no bumps in the road, but I I told her, I must tell you, I know my destiny now is to spend eternity with the God who is an eternal being. I don't have a right uh, or i don't it isn't by virtue i told her it's by the merits of christ that i know when i die or when he returns whichever comes first i'll be with him forever and then i told her you know this quest i told you about for peace and purpose i i don't i don't have that anymore i'm not i'm not chasing after it i have peace and i realized you can't have peace within until you're at peace with the god who may anyway she did not pray with me to accept Christ, but th- I can't make that happen, but I could do my part. So I shared the 40 words, and I had in my, my mind a three-part outline of my testimony, so I was ready to go. Folks, anyone could do it. So on the back here, I put some questions you could ask yourself in writing out your testimony for each of the three parts of your testimony Uh, and it's such a powerful thing your story here's the beauty of it you may not have answers nor do i to some of the big cosmic theological matters of the day but do you know there's not another person on planet earth who knows more about what the lord jesus has done for you than you You are the expert on your story. You should never be ashamed to tell. And if someone says, well, what about this or that? You can say, my friend, I don't have an answer to that question. Maybe if we meet again, I could ask someone to help me with that. But, but then you say, but one thing I do know, once I was blind, and now I see. You keep bringing them back to what you know about. You know the work that Jesus has done in your life. Now, folks... The power of your testimony and story is so great, God can use it to usher someone in the faith. So today we were in staff meeting, and our pastor in, the, in a context was sharing with us um, something about someone who recently passed, a, a close friend of the pastor, and whose homegoing the pastor officiated at. And he told us a story about two men some of you may know who shared their story with this man and something happened and I asked our pastor if he would be willing because he'll do it much more accurately if he would share with you what happened one time around a campfire thank you
1: brother John thank you brother Stewart I like to hear that I like to hear what he just said don't you let every one of us get ready to give a reason for the hope that's in us <clears throat> One of the things that Sagemont's known for for 50 years is we got a lot of outdoorsmen at Sagemont. Years ago, we introduced uh, having wild game dinners and, and uh, we got involved in going hunting together, fishing together, and so forth and so on. And Buddy Fortenberry came along and, and there's so many stories, but here's what I was sharing in our staff meeting. <clears throat> Some of you remember the name of Howard Hall. Raise your hand. Howard Hall. Howard Hall was a construction man. He was a man that was introduced to the Lord through going to the Shen Oak Ranch. How many of you remember the Shen Oak Ranch? 5,000 acres in, in the hill country of Texas that God provided for us free of charge. But he went in and began to improve it and so forth. How many of you remember John the Boy, we're really going back a long time now. He got voted least likely to ever get saved at Dobie High School. Uh, he was uh, into drugs, user, dealer, so forth. <clears throat> but when we had put these hunts together, we always would have people do just what Brother Stewart's been talking about give a reason for the hope that's in them and just share their story. Nobody has a story like yours. So we went down to the ranch of Wayne Mann. Sits right over there. I witnessed him for 30 years. Uh, on sunday morning wayne's still alive in his 80s now jim bowman we went to their ranch and i invited a man that i knew as a as a boy and then met him again when i moved uh b- back to houston and especially when i moved down to baycliffe name is sammy Ditta. the Ditta meat company is one of the big meat companies in houston uh he sell meat to all the stores and uh and all the schools i mean and the big restaurants and all this kind of thing So I invited Mr. Didda to go as my deacon, as my neighbor. And, you know, they won't come here. You preach or teach on Wednesday night, but they will come for a free dove hunt, trust me. They will come for a free hog hunt or whatever. And I invited him to come. But every time we had those, we would have a night around the fire when other Bubbas would share their story. And on one night... John Niscavis and Howard Hall was on the same trip, and I asked both of them to share their story. Mr. Sam Ditta, who was raised in the church, went to church every single Sunday all of his life for 70-something years, was the invited guest, and he heard those stories around the campfire. That night, he went back to the house to stay with me. Uh, back, We were staying about 30 miles away from where the hunt was taking place. <clears throat> and he went into bed, and he went to sleep. The next morning, he got up. And he came out on the front porch of the house. There were five of us out there drinking coffee. And he said, gentlemen, he said, uh, I've just had the best night's sleep I've ever had. And uh, he said, let me tell you Why? He said, you know, last night when we sat around that campfire and that old tough contractor, construction man, gave his story about you must be born again and what it meant to be saved. He said, I never heard anything like that before as he began to tell his story about how God changed his life. And then that young guy got up, that drug dealer, that drug addict, and he did the same thing. And he said they quoted the Scripture. And what it was, was John three sixteen, And then some very simple scriptures out of Romans. And here's what he said. He said, I was raised in the church. I went to church every Sunday of my life. But not one time have I ever been able to quote one scripture. I cannot quote one scripture. But in the course of that dialogue that night, or not dialogue, that monologue, both of the guys used the word born again, born again. And then they shared how they had prayed the simple sinner's prayer lord have mercy on me a sinner and save my soul he said before i went to sleep last night i shut my eyes and i prayed that prayer and he said gentlemen that's the best night's sleep i ever got in my life three weeks later i gave him a tape from errol winston errol winston was a professional hunter in africa he married a girl in pasadena he was killed in a plane crash and Brenham, or I believe it was, up here not too far, in an air show, he crashed his own airplane on a Saturday afternoon. But he recorded a tape when he told his story. I sent that tape to Mr. Detta. He was coming down the road from his ranch in East Texas, and he called me on the phone. And he said, Brother John, I just listened to that tape, and I just prayed that born-again prayer again. And he said, he said here's what I said. Did I say it Right. And, of course, it was just, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and Sam. I said, you said it right, Sammy. Well, he died here the other day. He, he watches us every single Sunday on television for the last year, ever since we've been on television. He did not go t- back to the church where they never learned the Scripture, but his life began to change. So I had the joy of inviting Charlotte and John Nescavis to come and sit right over here. And I told that story to the family, a huge family, of how one of them, Howard, met Sammy in heaven. I'm just sure he did. He met him when he came in the gates because the man who gave his testimony could welcome home a man that was saved because of his simple story. And then John invited, and he sat here, and they got to meet the family. All they did was share their testimony. All they did was do what Brother Stewart is saying that we need to do. And God is opening up more doors. I'll have lunch tomorrow. Pray for me with Mr. Detta's son. They have never heard the simple message and a simple testimony of what can happen when you're born again. All you got to do is tell your story. I hope you have a story to tell. If not, we need to talk. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Stewart. God
0: bless you. Thank you. The power of, a, of your story, the power of simply telling someone what the Lord Jesus has told to you. Now, some, sometimes people don't respond right away, do they? Sometimes people don't want to hear your story or they reject the truth that's contained therein. I don't want you to be discouraged. So let me just tell you, the man in our story, the blind man at this time is not even saved. At this time in the text, he does not know the Lord Jesus as his personal Savior. He's developing faith and understanding. And I just want to show you how this took place uh, so that you you stay encouraged. Listen, initially, uh, all this man, uh, this man knew nothing about this Jesus, initially. Uh, A second phase of his development, he came to see him as a man, a special and unusual man, but a man nonetheless. And so as we read in verse 11, he said, the man uh, called Jesus. But then in verse 17, he uh, he progresses a little more, and he refers to this Jesus who first he never heard of, then he thought was just a man, now he refers to him as a prophet. That's what it says. Verse 17, they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. Can you see the progression in his faith journey? First, he never heard of Jesus. Then he came to know of Jesus as a man, a special man. And then he thought, oh, no, he's more than that. He's a a divine messenger, an emissary of God. He's in the category of a prophet. And then in verse 38, folks, he accepts the Lord as his Savior and worships him. i give you a little sneak preview of it. We'll get there eventually. But listen to this. Jesus heard that they had put him out, out of the synagogue, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who was talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Folks, don't give up if people, when they hear your story or your first presentation of the gospel, don't immediately accept it. Try to stay with them. So what do you do with someone who doesn't accept Christ the first time? Don't give up on them. Develop the relationship. Cultivate it. Look for opportunities in it to live the Christ life before them. Ask God to show himself to your friend through you. Look for opportunities to have ongoing conversation about the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't forget what happened to the blind man in John chapter 9. He did not immediately bow before the Lord as Savior and worship him. It was a progression. Sometimes people, the first presentation of the gospel, they're going to accept very authentically the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a glorious and exhilarating time. But if that is not your case, don't kick the dust off your feet just yet. Don't give up on folks. Sometimes they just need to hear more. They need more time. They have to be cultivated. Anyway, here's what happened in verse 12, with which we'll close. They said to him, where is he? Well, I think that is a marvelous question. I guarantee nobody in the neighborhood was very much interested in the whereabouts of this unusual Jesus until they heard this man's story, and now He created because of his story. He engendered in them a desire to find Jesus. Now, I know some of them did not have good motives. Some of them were filled with hostility, and they wanted to locate this Jesus for the wrong reason. But there were others, I'm certain, whose interest in him in a legitimate way, was aroused by this man's story. He wasn't a great theologian. He didn't know a whole bunch of fancy stuff. All he knew was once I was blind, now I was see. Who did this to you? Jesus did this. Where is he? Folks, your story, simple though it may be, is still quite powerful, and it could engender an interest in people's lives to pursue the Lord Jesus, the likes of which they've never had before, please do not let the enemy fool you into thinking nobody out there is interested and you have nothing to say. Don't do that. Also, don't let the enemy fool you into thinking you will lose friends and everyone will reject you. Yeah, I think we may taste a little bit of that and and that that won't be such a bad thing, but I'm telling you more people are Open to the hope that to hear about the hope that is in us than those who are not now on this project 48 February 25th day that I told you about. Wouldn't it be unbelievably great if we got a chance as we go out into our neighborhood first to see how people are doing after Harvey to take a sincere interest in their physical needs and maybe even to come by and meet some of them? And then wouldn't it be great to say could I tell you about the one who has given me hope? You might say, I went through Harvey as well, but frankly, that wasn't my biggest need. My biggest need was how could I be right with the God who made me? And you could could say, hey, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened. Look how it's only 40 words. It takes less than a minute. And then you could say, could I tell you my story? And there may have been something they said, and you could say, like you, I once was. God does that all the time. And then you say, but then, and then you tell them how you came to know the Lord. How? Maybe an invitation in a church, maybe a friend, maybe you picked up a track left aside in an airport. Who knows how? It doesn't matter. You tell them how you came to know the Lord Jesus, and then you tell them how your life has changed. And then you, you leave the results to Almighty God. Folks, whatever else may define us as a church, evangelism is really the reason to justify our existence. There's no other reason for God to have still left us here except it is to go out there and tell our story and share the gospel. His mercy upon us must not stay with us. It has to be revealed in the way we live, and it has to be declared in the words we share. I want to challenge you. Would you be willing, as we close in prayer and before our pastor comes, would you be willing simply to ask God to give you one opportunity before we get together, Lord willing, on Wednesday again, would you ask God to give you one opportunity to speak to someone about the riches you have found in Christ Jesus? That's all. Just one time, one opportunity to tell your story. Would you pray, bow your head and close your eyes and let's ask the Lord to do that. And if you're serious about it, then you can just uh, um, you can move your toes around in your shoes or something. God'll know that, and nobody else needs to. Lord Jesus, uh, this is serious business, isn't it? People's eternity hinge on whether or not they know you or not. Thank you for entrusting to one such as us this treasure, the gospel message. Uh, I'm a little encouraged, I hope everyone is, that this blind man who didn't know a whole lot, he didn't know all the fancy things and the big theological issues that people argue about today, but he didn't have to. He was an expert on what you had done for him, and he pointed people to you. He made them know you did it for him. Lord, we can do that. And it's such a blessing. It is so exhilarating to be able to share you with others, not keep you to ourselves. So I pray for myself and for each family member here that you might bless each of us with at least one opportunity to share the gospel and or our conversion story with at least one person this week. And then I pray, oh God, you would so encourage us that we would tell one another and encourage each other to keep doing it. Thank you for letting us be your ambassadors. For those of us who don't know why we're here and what's our purpose, that's our purpose, to represent you, Almighty God. Would you give us that grand and glorious opportunity this week, this we ask, this we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you folks.